Brother Micah Schultz from, is that Menominee Falls? Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. Come preach for us, brother. So much for uh, letting us be with you tonight. I was actually uh, kind of panning the auditorium, and of course our group adds a little bit there in the back corner, but this is a healthy crowd for a Wednesday night, and so that's a blessing. And I'm actually a little bit curious about the pie in the face uh, story. Is, is, are the people that got the pie in the face in this room? Yes. So who got the pie in the face? Oh, you did. Oh, okay. All right. Only the two of you? No. All right. Wow. That's pretty neat. $3,000. That's pretty good. I'd like to know more about that. That's a, that's a pretty good fundraiser. Do kids get sponsored? Is that how it goes? They get sponsored, and whoever gets the most sponsors gets to throw the pie or something like that? Or? Well, whoever pays the most, they can throw the pie. Oh, oh, oh okay, okay. Yeah. So for you, it's worth a lot of money, I'm sure, right? No doubt about it. Okay. Great. Good. Well, I met your pastor in February. Uh, we have a conference every February at our church. We call it the Victory Conference, and uh, Brother Brooks came up and I, to my understanding, it was the first time he'd ever been to Falls Baptist Church, and the uh, first time I'd ever met him, he and I happened to sit together at a pastor's lunch, and as he and I were chatting, he told me where he was from, and I said, oh, you know what, we're going to take a group out, and uh, so it turned out for us to be with you here this evening, and then it was surprising, he said, well, I'm not going to be there that week. I said, oh, okay, all right, so I don't really know your preacher that well, I guess he's on an anniversary trip, right? So... Um, too bad, too bad I can't fellowship with him, but this is a blessing to hear to be with you all tonight. I was looking at your missionary list, and I uh, wanted to see which missionaries we uh, support uh, together. Uh, we know the Sanderlins. I don't know if you know uh, Sam and Abby. Uh, actually, uh, Sam graduated from our seminary, and uh, Sam's a good fella, and I think they're headed back, right? Isn't that correct? Yeah. So uh, Anna uh, Needham over there with our group. She's from Cameroon, and Sam and Abby are in Cameroon also. And then I notice here, uh, Randy and Joanne Smith. Do you all know the Smiths, missionaries to Japan? And I believe that's how Brother Brooks found out about um, our conference, was through the Smiths. And uh, Smiths are good friends of our ministry. Actually, uh, their kids all went to our academy, our, um, our college. And uh, actually, right now, uh, living in my basement in our house is uh, one of their daughters who married a fellow named James Cotvis. And uh, they're uh, on deputation to Peru, so they, we have a little apartment in our basement, and so Ann Smith Cotvis lives in our basement, so we know the Smiths real well, and uh, they're a good family, a solid family, I'm glad you support them, so praise the Lord for that. All right, well, we, of course, are on our, our little trip here. We went to the uh, lighting ceremony last night at Mount Rushmore. I'm sure probably all of you have done it. Maybe you've, maybe you've done it a hundred times, I don't know. I'd never done it before. That was really special. I'm telling you, we really enjoyed it. And then today we uh, all got sick on the bus going around all the curves. And, uh, so anyway, I'm telling you what, it's been a good trip. But it's always a blessing to go to church. And it's, it's good to go to different churches. So we're just glad to be here with you all tonight. A number of years ago, I was on a missions trip in Jordan. Jordan in the Middle East, right there next to Israel. And our host was a very gracious man. He was not Jordanian. He was actually Lebanese, but he lived in Jordan, was a missionary in Jordan from Lebanon. And uh, we had just some unusual experiences there at, uh, at his home. And uh, maybe you've been overseas. Maybe you've been to an Islamic nation. It's a lot different than being in America or, or a, any other Western uh, nation. 
So you're just very aware that this is a different sort of scenario when the call to prayer happens, you know, every few hours and you don't understand the people. It's just, it's unsettling. And there was a few things about that trip that were just, it was just different. It was unsettling. I remember one day we were uh, getting ready in the morning and um, I, my little um, uh, toiletry bag had this really large centipede, big, black, ugly, scary centipede on it. I don't know anything about, you know, bugs in Jordan. And so I called our host. He was actually staying at a different house than we were. And man, when he came over and saw that thing, he went crazy. Had the whole house fumigated and everything. I thought, okay, well, I felt bad, but you know, I didn't want to see one of those again either, you know. Um, <laughs> In a sort of similar way, our host was such a gracious man. He just wanted everything to go right for us. Um, it was maybe a couple days later, uh, one of our fellas, uh, he got locked in the bathroom. And uh, I don't remember how that all happened, but he, uh, we had all gone to the, to the other house, and we were eat, drinking coffee and just fellowshipping. We wonder where Jake is. Where's Jake? What's going on? So I finally go back to find Jake, and Jake says, I'm locked in the bathroom. I said, well, how did you get locked in the bathroom? He said, I don't know, but I can't get out. So I'm playing at the door. I couldn't get it open. And uh, so I said, well, let's crawl, crawl out the window. Well, the window had bars on it. So I said, oh, man. So I go back to our host, and I said, brother, we have a problem. Um, Jake's locked in the bathroom. And again, he's just, he's embarrassed. You know, he can't believe this is happening. You know, first the centipede, now Jake's locked in the bathroom. And, and I remember he comes over to the house, and he plays with the knob, plays with the knob. And, and then he steps back. And he kicks the door open. I'm watching, thinking, there's got to be a lot better ways to deal with this situation. But he wanted to get him out, you know. And the reality is, Jake was locked in. And as a host, he felt awkward about Jake being locked in the bathroom. And, uh, you know, somehow, some way in that situation, he didn't have the key. If he had had the key, Jake would have easily gotten out of the bathroom. But instead, we used, you know, right foot, solid force on the door. And uh, got us out of there. Have you ever been broken into? Just curious. Anybody ever broken into your house before? Uh, it's happened to me one time. Oh, actually, a couple times. Uh, but it's an unsettling feeling. It's very unsettling to come home. And if it's like my situation, you know the door is open. And you start all these thoughts going through your mind. Why is the door open? Who didn't close the door? What's going on? And, and then you walk in the house and you realize, wait a minute, something's not right. And uh, that's a very unsettling feeling. Well, not to, not to overstate the situation. Of course, somebody breaking into your house is very awkward. Uh, it's not the best way to get in. Uh, kicking down the door, because Jake is locked in it, maybe isn't the best way to get in. No offense to my host. Probably a locksmith could have done it a little bit uh, more uh, sophisticatedly. Um, but you know, when I go home, I never kick the door down. I have a key. I have the key to my house. And it's awkward when somebody else has been in your house and they broke the door down because they didn't have the key and they weren't welcome to come in. But you know, when you got the key, you got full access. You have an opportunity to go in because you have the right and you have the access point. And I want to talk tonight about the key to the harvest. And it's interesting, you're doing Saturation Saturday, this Saturday. We're going to go out and hear the, hear the town, right? See, tell everybody in the town about Liberty Baptist Church, uh, Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. And I want to talk to you tonight about the key to the harvest. And I want you to find John 4. And John 4 actually is kind of a familiar story, and I don't plan to talk about every aspect of the story, but I do want to point out uh, one part of it that hopefully we can walk away from tonight 
with a good sense of faith and confidence that we have or we can discover the key to the harvest. So you're in John 4. Um, John 3 is actually an interesting uh, chapter before that. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. You are familiar with this story, I'm sure. Remember in John 3, Jesus is doing whatever he does in the evening, and Nicodemus came to him. And uh, so in that moment, Jesus literally just seized an opportunity. The opportunity came to him, and of course when it came, he was ready to respond to it. And uh, presumably here, he leads Nicodemus to saving faith in himself. So I think John 3 is an is a illustration of how to seize an opportunity. Hopefully in your ability to handle gospel situations, you would know how to seize an opportunity. Somebody comes to you and opens a conversation, expresses a need, and you know how to turn the conversation to the gospel. It's very important. That's why it's important to have gospel tracts nearby and, and a Bible nearby, because you never know when an opportunity may come. Always be ready to seize the opportunity. John 4, though, is a little bit different sort of a thrust, and that is in John 4, Jesus is not seizing an opportunity as much as he is creating an opportunity. And look at verse number 3 here. It says, uh, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. Here's Jesus creating an opportunity. Let's just pray real quick, and let's look at this, and let's discover the key to the harvest. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would bless here as we take a few minutes and consider how you navigated this situation with this woman at a well. And Lord, right now we pray that you would open up to us an understanding of the key to the harvest. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're not going to read through the whole chapter. The, whole, the story essentially takes up the, the, uh, the bulk of the chapter. But I do want you to consider, first of all, Jesus' passion was to do the will of his Father. And if you go to the very end of the chapter, not the very end, but kind of near the end of the story, look at verse 31. Jesus has already had that initial encounter with the woman. We're going to talk about it. But we find this out in verse 31. It says, In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he saith unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Jesus' passion was to do the will and the work of his Father. Of course, you can see that all through the Gospels, right? Jesus' passion, his, his meat, that's what he lived on, was to do the will of his Father. And uh, first question tonight, is that your personal passion? to do the will of your Father. Um, we're going to talk about soul winning here in just a minute. I think everybody in this room would say, yes, I need to be more effective in giving out the gospel. Of course, I think we would all agree. But let's step back from that point of obedience to just the broad category of obedience to the will of your Father. Are you passionate and committed 
about obeying your father. Every morning when I do my personal Bible time, um, I spend some time just praying. And uh, then I take some time and I read through the scripture. And uh, while I'm reading, I'm asking the Lord to show me what in this passage is he talking to me about for the day so that I can discover his will for my life for that day. And then I try and crystallize it down to what I call an I will statement. And what I mean by that is I will, in essence, I'm pledging to the Lord that I will follow through in whatever he's telling me. It's a step of obedience. So I think in terms of as I pray, I'm, I'm asking the Lord to guide me and lead in my life. And I'm discovering in his word, his will. And by doing so, I'm purposing then to obey. And I do try and on a daily basis come up with an I will statement. Something I can obey him in. Do you know, all of us are burdened, I'm sure, all of us. I don't know you, but I bet all of you are burdened to be better at evangelism. No doubt about it. But I'm going to challenge you that that being better at giving the gospel starts with a commitment to obey Jesus in everything. Obeying Jesus in everything. Look at verse 35. Think about this. Jesus says, Say not ye there are yet uh, four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Of course, he's showing them something they were not seeing. Have you ever wondered what, what does the white harvest look like right here in this town? Or may, let me say it this way. Have you ever dreamt of what it would be like to see a great harvest in your town or your neighborhood or your family or your personal connections? I have. I've thought about it. Boy, what would it be like to see my neighbors all come to Christ or my my community come to Christ? What would it look like? Wow, that'd be great. And I I have all these thoughts about it. But you know, sometimes to go from dream to reality seems like a huge gap. And uh, what does that look like? Do you believe, verse 35, lift up your eyes, look on uh, on the fields, they are white, all ready to harvest? Do you know if Jesus said that? It's because it's true. Do you know Rapid City does have a white harvest? It truly does, you know. You know, we're sitting here on a Wednesday night, and there's about 100 people in this room, and we think, sure, of course, but, you know, not many. That's not what he said. Jesus said it's white to harvest, so there's a great harvest out there. All right, the question is, how do we find it? How do we get there? I want you to notice, secondly, then, if Jesus was passionate about obeying the will of his Father, I do want you to notice, then, in all practicality, Jesus was committed to following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And, of course, there you see the triune God at work. Jesus is committed. He is passionate about obeying his Father by the leadership and power of the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, look at verse 4. Verse 4, we read it there. And I know it's a very familiar part of this chapter. It says, and he must needs go through Samaria. And I don't probably have to explain to you the historical background of this. But, you know, it was very unusual that Jesus Christ being uh, culturally a Jew, to go through Samaria. And uh, typically a Jew would have gone either the coastal route around Samaria or up the Jordan Valley. They would have never gone through the hills of Samaria. But Jesus had to go. Well, why did he have to go? Because he knew he had a divine appointment. How did he know? Because he followed the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Remember in Matthew 4, chapter 1, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, It says Jesus was led of the Spirit. In that point, he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. That's an interesting thought. 
But you know, Jesus lived his life as an example for us to show us how we are to live. We're not supposed to look at Jesus' life and say, yeah, but that was Jesus. We're supposed to look at Jesus' life and say, yeah, that's the life that he is giving me power to live. And Jesus lived his whole life by the power of the Spirit of God. So Jesus followed the Holy Spirit. And here the Holy Spirit said, go through Samaria. And of course, what did Jesus do? He obeyed. He went through Samaria. Do you know, learning to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit is one of the most important skills of the Christian life. Um, my wife has twin sisters, Robin and Lisa. And uh, Robin and Lisa, actually, uh, Lisa's, she's no longer with us. She died in a motorcycle accident 14 years ago. But they're twins, older than my wife, uh, Robin and Lisa. And I remember years ago when I first met my wife, uh, her sisters were the same person to me. I could not tell them apart, identical twins. And uh, wow, I mean, I literally, it just took me a long time to finally sort out, you know, their features and be able to, to see the difference. And you probably know, you know, an identical twin uh, maybe in your life too. And it takes a while usually to, to tell the part. Well, after a while, it was easy to tell them apart. Uh, I didn't even need to see them together. You know, if I saw e either one of them somewhere, oh yeah, that's Rob, that's Lisa. But one thing I never got good at was talking with them on the phone. And uh, so often I can remember getting a phone call and, you know, one of the girls, I knew it was one of them, I wasn't that dumb. But, you know, answer the phone. Uh, hey, Mike, is Jenny there? Sure. And, I, you know, hey, uh, Jen, it's your sister. But I never knew which one. You know, I couldn't tell. I just knew it was her sister. And I'm telling you, my wife would get on the phone. And within a nanosecond, she'd go, oh, hey, Rob. Or, hey, Lise. And uh, I could never do that. I could never do that. Think about Hebrews chapter 4 in verse 12. You might have this verse memorized. It says, the word of God is quick and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of, you say the next words, soul and spirit, to the joints and marrow, discern of the thoughts and tents of the heart. Okay, I'm going to challenge you with this real quick, and then we're going to get into the point of the message. To learn to discern between what's a leadership from your own soul and the leadership of the spirit gets at the very heart of the Christian experience. And you're never going to learn to discern between what's the Spirit of God and what's just your own soul except being in the Word of God. Okay, I already told you this. So every day, and I'm praying, and I pray, then I read my Bible, and I ask God, what do you want me to do today? How can I obey you? That exercise is training me to understand what's Spirit and what's just soul. Soul isn't bad. Soul's just you. It's your thoughts, your ideas, um, your desires. But we want to know not just what we think, but what does God want? Yeah, and it does take a study of the word and a commitment to obey to begin to train yourselves to understanding the voice of the Holy Spirit. Let me go back to my, my sisters-in-law. Um, it would have probably, eventually, I would have gotten to a place where I could have discerned between their voices. But I never got there, and now I will never get there because Lisa's no longer with us. But I'm sure over time, if I would have talked to him on the phone enough, I would have probably gotten there. But I never got there. Visually, I could totally tell. With my ears, I couldn't tell. I wasn't trained enough. And brethren, I want to challenge you that if you want to be effective in the harvest, it's going to start with being passionate about obedience. But if you're going to really know how to obey, you've got to be tuned to the Spirit of God's voice 
in your life. Let's use the word prompting. Do you know what I mean when I say you're prompted by the Holy Spirit? Have you ever been prompted by the Holy Spirit? And it's not something you heard. It wasn't something spooky. You just had that sense. You know, I think I need to do such and such. Have you ever not done such and such because you thought, oh, that's a weird idea. Where did that idea come from? And you didn't do it. You know, it might very well be that in that very moment, the Spirit of God prompted you, and because you were unfamiliar with His voice, as opposed to your own soul voice, that you didn't obey. And it's when you don't obey the Spirit, you literally walk away from what you need to be effective in the harvest. Does that make sense? I want to challenge you that if you're going to be effective in hearing His voice, you've got to be passionate about obeying Him. When you're passionate about obeying God through the Word of God, you learn when it's Him speaking. Then I want to challenge you, when it's Him speaking, you better do it. And so here Jesus says, or the passage says of Jesus that he must needs go through Samaria. Now consider the rest of the story. The rest of the story isn't just happenstance. Jesus didn't just go sit on that well by accident, right? He sat there on purpose. Do you think Jesus knew that woman was coming there? Of course he did. He must needs go through Samaria. He knew exactly what he was doing. Do you know when you read John chapter 4, I want you to consider the end result of this passage because it so focuses on this one woman. But I think you know the end of the story. Look at verses uh, 30, uh, look at verse 29. All right, verse 29, uh, this woman leaves Jesus. She goes into town and says, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Go down to verse 30, uh, 39. It says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days, and many more believed because of his own words, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ the Savior of the world. Okay, I want, you to, I want to challenge you with this. Jesus' end result in John 4 was not just the salvation of a woman at a well. It's easy to think that way because the story essentially focuses on that interchange between Jesus and the woman. But Jesus' focus, his goal in John 4 was to save the city of Sychar. He has focused on that city because he knew that city was ready to respond. All right, so having said that, I want to consider then last, Jesus in this passage then demonstrates the key to the harvest. All right, so we have here that Jesus goes to a city called Sychar. And, uh, of course, Sychar, it says it's in the, the land of Samaria. And he sits on a well, and I think you know the story. The woman comes to him, and uh, Jesus initiates conversation. He creates an opportunity. He says, give me some water to drink. And uh, how does she respond? Look at verse 9. How does she respond to him? Because I think how she responds to him tells a lot about that initial, uh, the initial response of the whole city to what Jesus was saying. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask the strength of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. That is a big deal. Do you know Jesus, as a Jew, a rabbi, a Jewish man, had zero entrance 
to the city of Sychar. They were opposites. Um, if Jesus would have gone to city center Sychar and set up a soapbox and started to preach, I'm telling you, they would have run him out of town. No doubt about it. He had no opportunity in Sychar. If he would have gone right, okay, I, you know, sometimes we think to be bold, you got to go do something crazy. You know, I'm going to be bold for Jesus. And then you think the only, only way to be bold for Jesus is to stand up in the middle of Walmart and just start preaching, you know. Um, can I tell you, honestly, if you went to Walmart right now, tonight, and, and stood in the middle of the store and just started preaching, what do you think would happen? Probably revival would not break out, okay? I don't know, maybe, whatever, I doubt it. Probably you'd get ushered out at that point, you know? And, and you could say, well, this is, you know, I'm a martyr and whatever. You know, honestly, it just wouldn't happen. It's just, they would probably usher you out. If Jesus would have gone to the very center of town, set up a soapbox, and started to preach, the leaders of Sychar would have grabbed him and forcefully kicked him out of town, and he knew it. Okay, so at first blush, then, was the city of Sychar open to the gospel? Well, it wouldn't seem like it, because I'm telling you, that's exactly what would have happened. The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. They would have kicked him right out of town. But Jesus knew the city was open. Have you ever thought about your city here? Rapid city. I don't know anything about your town. It's a pretty big town, right? A lot of people. How many people live in town here? 70,000 Okay. So it's a pretty big town, right? A lot of people. Um, I was struck as we've kind of navigated town here a little bit that there's a lot of lost people. Do you think? Do you think there's a lot of lost people in Rapid City? It kind of seems like it. And um, does it sometimes feel like to go from here out to there and make a difference seems really, seems really kind of hard. Not just because we get nervous about talking about Jesus, but like there's a barrier, you know. You walk around Walmart and everybody looks at you like you're crazy and you think, how in the world would I ever, you know, how, how am I going to make a difference in this town? Doesn't it ever feel like the harvest is a million miles away right next to you? That Sychar. Sychar was a million miles away and Jesus was right in the middle of it. And so Jesus knew the way to get into the harvest, it was through this one woman. You know the story, okay? I'm, I'm assuming you know the story. If you're new to the church, I'm, I apologize. I'm not just trying to just gloss over a text. But in the story, Jesus literally just by a, what seems like a casual conversation opens up a profound gospel opportunity. So let's just look again real quick at what Jesus does with this woman. So he talks to her, asks for some water, She's, you know, surprised that he's talking to her. And so then he makes a kind of a, a shocking statement. He said, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask him for living water. And, of course, then she's, her curiosity is piqued at that point, right? You know the story. So what does he do? He's going to tell her more. He says, go get, your, go get your husband. And, of course, now that was kind of an awkward question. She says, well, I don't, I'm not married. He says, well, of course, I know you're not married. Not anymore. You've been married five times. Okay, look what happens in here. Uh, verse number 19. I want you to get this. This is pretty important here. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Yeah, he just told her something about her that he wouldn't have known except God showed him. Now, this is interesting. This woman, if you could have met this woman, which none of us can, so let's, let's try and envision this woman. Married five times. Five times. What would possess a woman to get married five times? 
what possesses any woman to get married one time? I'm actually serious. Do you know there's a deep, deep drive in a woman's heart to be loved, to be accepted, to belong, right? And the first time she tried it, it didn't work. So she tried it again. Maybe it'll work this time. And apparently it didn't work that time. So she tried it again. Why? Because she wants so badly to be loved. She had a huge need in her life. Wanted to be loved five times. Now she doesn't get married. She's just shacked up with a guy. Why? Because she had a need in her life. I think if you could have met the woman at the well, you would have been shocked at how beaten down she was in life. You've probably met somebody similar to the woman at the well. A lady who just seems like she's just hard. You know, like, like the world's just beat her up. Like she's despondent. Like she doesn't care. That was the woman at the well. You know, you picture her like the flannel graph Bible story. You know, she was like the lady you see at Walmart that you go, man, that, that lady's a mess. That was the woman at the well. Interestingly enough, of course, remember in the story when she goes back to town, uh, she doesn't say, come eat the Messiah. He'll show you how to get to heaven. She says, come eat a man who showed me everything about me. And do you know what every man in town knew? Everything about her. And so there was no surprise going on here. Hey, you got to meet this man who knows everything about me. You guys know all about me. Uh, come, come meet this guy. This is amazing. And it was her that actually gave entrance to them. I want you to consider this woman a little further. She says, we're still in verse number uh, 19, I perceive that thou art a prophet. I love verse 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye, the Jews, say that in Jerusalem is a place for men ought to worship. What is she asking? Okay, this woman is beaten down. She's a mess. She's not spiritual. She's not going to church on Sundays. You know, whatever her life was like, it wasn't pristine. But you know, in the back of her mind, because her life was a tragedy, she was asking one question. What do you think that question was? How do I get to God? Where's God? Because I'm not finding him. You know, our fathers say that we're supposed to worship him this way, and I don't know, it doesn't seem to do anything for me. And you, you Jewish people, you say it's that way, but I don't know about that. You know, you all seem kind of mean. No offense, that's the story. But somewhere deep down inside of her, she had a big question. That was, where, how do I get to God? And I'm telling you, when you walk by Walmart with that woman that looks just like that woman at the well, and you think, that lady's a mess. You don't know that she might be asking that very same question. I want to challenge you tonight that if Jesus said the harvest truly is plenteous, that it's white unto harvest, that they're right now in this town, I'm promising you, I'm not, Jesus is saying it. There's a lot of people right now that are asking that question. How do I get to God? And they're doing internet searches, and they're looking at Christian television, and they're trying to figure it out, and they can't quite get their finger on it because it's elusive to them. But their lives are a mess, and they're wondering, how do I get to God right now? And of course, Jesus fully understood what was going on, and uh, he leads her to himself. And uh, I want to challenge you with this one thought, and that is this. Do you know this woman is open? She didn't look like it. But this woman, in fact, was the very key that unlocked the harvest of Sychar. I challenge you with this tonight, and actually, believe it or not, I'm done. Here's the thought. Do you know the key to the harvest 
is in the harvest. And I think sometimes we think as Christians that the key to the harvest is us. Like we're the key to the harvest. But you know, honestly, if that was the case, why aren't we harvesting more? Because we're the ones who go to Walmart and feel like we're a million miles away from the lost people, even though they're right next to us. Like there's a barrier between us and them. If I was to go up to them and hand them a gospel tract, it's, it's awkward. What are they going to think? You know, this may not work. And so we walk around feeling like we're a million miles away from the harvest, though they're right next to us. And I would challenge you this. Partly is because there is a barrier between us and the harvest. And unless we use the key, we will still feel like we have no entrance. So here's my prayer, my prayer challenge for you all tonight. My prayer challenge is this. God, guide me to that key that will get me in to a, re a readily prepared harvest. The city of Sychar was wide open, wide open. But like I said earlier, if Jesus would have gone to city center Sychar, set up a soapbox and start preaching, they would have run him out of town. If you went to Walmart and stood up in the middle of the store and started preaching the gospel, people would have, they'd probably, they'd run you out of the store. Well, these people aren't open. That's not necessarily true. You just weren't using the key. Do you know, everybody that you know is a part of a group. And what God wants to do is lead you to the person in the group that actually opens up the whole group. And I don't know about your church, maybe, maybe in this church there's a family that reached another family and another family. That's how it often goes. You reach one, and they usually are the key then to reaching relatives, friends. And uh, the longer you're saved, the less you have the lost connections. But if you can reach the key, it's the key that opens up the harvest. And so I'm going to challenge you with this thought. You're never going to have the ability to follow the Holy Spirit if you're not obeying simply what he's telling you to do. Not just in the gospel, in everything. So when you're reading the Word of God, God, teach me to understand your voice so I can obey you. And then whatever he prompts you to do, you do it. Even if it seems insignificant, obey him. That's training you to hear his voice, his spirit. As you follow the spirit, then you can follow him through Samaria. And even when you're going through Samaria, ask God, guide me. Because I believe that a church like this, in a town like this, that may feel like this town is hard, and boy, these people aren't really that open. I'm telling you folks, this town is way more open than you might realize. Jesus said so. But you're not necessarily going to find it just by that front, bold preach. Not that that's wrong. I'm not saying that's wrong. What I'm saying is you need to ask God, God, would you show me the key? Who's a person that I'm going to come across that as unlikely as they may be, or maybe likely, is actually going to be the key to open a door to a whole community of white, ready-to-be-harvested people. The key to the harvest is in the harvest. Amen. Let's pray about it. Lord, I pray that you would give um, belief in that. We think of Saturday here as this church goes out, and they're going to hand out literature about the church. And I'm assuming as they're doing that, there will be people out in their yards and there'll be people out and about and Lord I pray that in the days from from here Wednesday to Saturday that this church that the people in this church would have a commitment to obeying you and whatever you tell them to do following those promptings so that in that moment even on Saturday or in saturation Saturday that they'll be ready to respond to that prompting say a word to that person 
uh, give that invitation to that person. And Lord, I pray that what would happen in these couple of days here in this church would be that you would, in the skillfulness of your hand, as a wise shepherd, would you guide these folks to the very people out in this community that are actually the key to get through the barrier into a white and ready harvest. And Lord, I know this is something that's not natural. It's going to be supernatural. And so Lord, I pray for faith for these folks to believe you and then guide them to the key. And then through your skill, would that key be the very thing, the very one who opens up a great harvest. And I pray this in Jesus' name.